Welcome to the new Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller from WMHT.org. David Allen Miller conducts the Albany Symphony and he provides commentary on the WMHT live broadcast. David's commentary is full of fascinating stories about the music, the performances, and more. In order to keep the program mostly music, some of what he provides ends up on the cutting room floor. This podcast contains no music, but it does contain all of David Allen Miller's commentary from the concert broadcast on WMHT Live. On WMHT-FM, your classical companion. The Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony Concert Broadcast is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. Our concert began with a very exciting new work by young American composer Stacy Garrup. Now, I should talk for a few moments first about Stacy and how she came to the Albany Symphony. Through a, a recent very generous grant from our friends at the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation, we've been uh, invited to uh, create positions for short-term resident composers. Each year, starting this year and going through the next two years, we'll be featuring both a mentor composer, a major American composer, whose works will play through the season and also record. This year it's John Harbison. Next year we're hoping it will be John Corleano, the famous movie composer as well as great symphonist. And in addition to that mentor composer role, each of these three years, we'll be having uh, what's called a composer-educator partner, a mid-career composer whose works will be playing and commissioning, but who also will spend a good deal of time in schools in the Capital Region or in a school in the Capital Region working on a multi-dimensional arts music education project. Stacy has already kicked off her residency at Hackett Middle School in Albany during the week as we were preparing this concert, and it's a very exciting project that will come to fruition in May as part of our American Music Festival, a project all about Henry Hudson's travel up the Hudson River, discovering New York, but also meeting six different groups of people from different eras in New York State history. So uh, during her residency, we also agreed to play both an existing piece and in May to commission a brand new piece from her. So the existing piece was on this program, and it was the opening work of the program. It's a a very, uh, I think, riveting and powerful, dramatic and intriguing piece called Becoming Medusa. A bit of a play on the word becoming. I think she meant becoming the monster Medusa, but also how becoming a woman can be quite becoming or beautiful. The premise of the piece is that Medusa, according to many versions of the myth, was not always a hideous gorgon with snakes in her hair. She was, in fact, one of the most beautiful mortals uh, in all of Greece and made the mistake of bragging about her beauty and particularly about her beautiful hair and also made the mistake of either seducing or being seduced by Poseidon, the sea god, in Athena's temple. When Athena discovered this, she hunted down the mortal and transformed her into the hideous monster she became. So Stacy takes this version of the myth and creates a kind of flashback piece in which the work begins with Medusa as the horrible gorgon we know. Uh, and you hear a lot of snaky music in the strings as well as very dramatic and loud, overpowering percussion music. And then after a very short time, there's sort of a flashback and we uh, encounter Medusa as a young, beautiful mortal. In fact, I'll actually read you the, the titles of the different sections of the music in the score, in the, the part that I conduct from, these are actually labeled, so you, you hear the music. I, I probably should simplify it for, for the radio listeners by simply saying that when the music is beautiful and the solo violin is playing, we're dealing with the original beautiful Medusa. And when the music becomes more dissonant and also louder and filled with percussion and dramatic gestures, it's about the transformation of Medusa as well as about Medusa 
discovering that she's been turned into this hideous monster, that her beautiful body has been transformed. So the, the, the subheadings of the different sections of the piece of, of becoming Medusa are one terrible Medusa and then immediate flashback to lovely Medusa. Then Medusa seduces Poseidon in Athena's temple, Athena's wrath, Athena transforms Medusa, terrible Medusa, shocked, devastated, and then finally resigned Medusa retreats into exile, where of course she awaits Perseus to finally put her out of her misery. So as I mentioned, the piece uh, features a rather prominent solo violin that weaves through in the, uh, becoming the voice of Medusa, played by our brilliant concertmaster, Ms. Jill Levy. And it also is a quite a, an orchestral tour de force for orchestra, but a very beautiful and moving essay, and I think very uh, uh, creative treatment of the myth. In fact, I was so excited by the piece that I asked Stacy whether she would consider making her commission later in the season a pair of companion pieces to this and ultimately writing a fourth myth-inspired piece that in a future year we could play that would then create a whole sort of uh, women in, in Greek mythology symphony, which in fact she's doing. So I think she's doing the Sirens and the Fates in May as part of our festival, and I hope you'll all come hear that as well. So here now, this is only the second time this piece was ever played. It was commissioned by and performed originally by the Detroit Symphony, I guess two years ago. It was uh, written in 2007. This is only the second set of performances that the piece has received. And it actually, uh, Stacy made a great number of adjustments and changes and, and I think wonderful improvements to the piece in preparation for our performances. This now is Becoming Medusa by Stacy Garrup, a Chicago-based uh, composer who's uh, in her early 40s and teaches at Roosevelt University, Becoming Medusa by Stacey Garrup, performed by the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. That was the opening work on our concert, Stacey Garib's fairly new tone poem, Becoming Medusa, performed by the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. Second on our program, the work that completes the first half, is a very exciting event for us. I had heard about a very gifted young prodigy in Boston named George Lee, a pianist, who's now 14 years old, a very diminutive fellow. He's uh, of Chinese ancestry. His parents are lovely, lovely people. They come from mainland China, but George and his younger brother and sister were all born and raised in the States and mainly in Lexington, Massachusetts, where they live. And uh, George is a student at the New England Conservatory of Music, NEC, uh, in their preparatory division, as well as being at a wonderful art school in Boston, which I think is called Woodland Hills School. He's in the ninth grade. I had heard from my friend Ben Zander, actually the wonderful conductor in Boston who will be conducting the orchestra, the Albany Symphony, here in Mahler in January. I'd heard about this dazzling young fellow, and I checked him out on YouTube because I've become quite a passionate YouTube observer and was quite blown away by the incredible, uh, not only the, the technique and the, uh, the sophistication of his playing, but really the, the maturity of his handling of particularly this piece, the piece that he seems to own, Saint-Saëns Piano Concerto Number no. 2. This is by all means the most famous of Saint-Saëns five concerti. Saint-Saëns, of course, was uh, one of the great figures in French music in the 19th century. He lived a long, long life. Uh, he was born in 1835 and lived until 1921. And he was an incredible polymath. He could do everything. He was a pianist, conductor, composer, but also an expert on ancient languages and history and literature. Just an amazing character. In fact, there's a, a very famous quote from Berlioz that I love to recite about him. Berlioz, when he encountered Saint-Saëns, who was then a very young man, he said, this young man can do everything. The only thing he lacks is inexperience. 
So it's true that Sassons had incredible facility and, and a little bit like that other very facile uh, child prodigy, Mendelssohn, uh, was occasionally taken to task for his music perhaps not being deep enough. In Mendelssohn's case, I'm not sure I agree with that. And Sassons seemed to, in essence, pride himself on writing music that was not always terribly deep but was always of, of extreme elegance and grace and charm and nowhere more so than in this fabulous concerto. The piano concerto number two is in three movements. The first movement opens in a rather unconventional way with a rather extended piano solo that immediately harkens back to Bach, one of Saint-Saëns' great loves, and it sounds almost like a Bach prelude. The first movement is very broad and slow and dramatic, not uh, typical of a first movement of a concerto. And the second movement is a fabulous and very famous scherzo, one of Saint-Saëns' most famous pieces. The last movement is a kind of breakneck tarantella that's usually played pretty fast, but nowhere more quickly than in, in George Lee's performance of this piece. He's actually taken the piece all over the world now. He's played it in Sweden and in Venezuela and all over the United States. So he is, in a certain sense, a grizzled veteran at the age of 14. And he was a charming, lovely young man. I really enjoyed him and his family being with us. I should also mention that the piece was premiered in 1868 in Paris. It seems that Saint-Saëns uh, was conducting a series of concerts with the legendary pianist Anton Rubinstein, not to be confused with the 20th century legendary pianist Arthur Rubinstein. Anton Rubinstein was a great Russian composer, conductor, pianist, and he was the featured soloist on this series of concerts. But Anton Rubinstein said to Saint-Saëns sort of at the last minute, listen, for the last concert, the fifth concert, why don't I conduct and you play instead of your conducting and my playing? And so in the space of three weeks, Saint-Saëns wrote this marvelous piece. Here now, George Lee, piano soloist, 14 years old, to perform Saint-Saëns' Piano Concerto Number no. 2 with the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes Podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. The Conductor's Notes Podcast, featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony Concert Broadcast, is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. The orchestra and I devoted uh, the second half of the program to one of the major crowning works of the mid-late Romantic period, Johannes Brahms's Second Symphony. Just before we played the Brahms, I did um, recognize a longtime member of our orchestra, Harriet Thomas, a wonderful human being and, and musician and, and friend of music who's been in the orchestra for almost 40 years and retired last May. We honored her uh, this November because it turns out that, in fact, on November 19th, in 1969, that was the date upon which she auditioned for the orchestra and was accepted by then maestro Julius Hedgie, and she's served in the orchestra ever since as uh, as viola section member, but also as personnel manager and in a number of roles, a number of indispensable roles, uh, and has been really a, a great friend and supporter and lover of the symphony, sort of the best kind of friend the symphony could possibly have. So we honored Harriet Thomas for her many years of service, and then we turned to Brahms's mighty second symphony. Now, all four of the Brahms symphonies are monumental in their own ways, but they all have, each has a very distinct and different character from the others. As you probably remember, Brahms' first symphony was an extraordinarily effortful endeavor. It took Brahms, by some estimations, 14 years to finally complete the first symphony. I'm afraid he had uh, the specter of Beethoven, long dead, gazing over his shoulder, and, and Brahms was already in the middle of his career at this time. He didn't complete the work until the first symphony, until 1877. So he was already 44 years old when the first symphony was finally completed. And he had written 
a huge number of works. He'd been kind of discovered by Robert Schumann at the age of 20. So he'd, he'd already written his, his German Requiem, the first piano concerto, the variations on a theme of Haydn, uh, his two serenades, as well as a huge amount of solo piano music and chamber music and, and song literature. So he was no neophyte or novice. He was, in fact, a really seasoned veteran. And yet he still, I think because he sort of knew uh, he had such a deep appreciation for the tradition and such a profound understanding of the accomplishments of those who went before. He really felt that in order to write a compelling symphony and present it in the 1870s, it needed to be worthy of the, the legacy of that greatest of all symphonists, Beethoven. And I think that really slowed him down, if I dare say. And the first symphony, while being one of the great masterworks of world history, I've always found, particularly in the first movement, which is the movement that it took him the longest to to generate, I find that it sounds like a, a work that that needed an incredible amount of effort and that really caused Brahms a lot of pain and anguish in, in the creation of it. And it seems that as the first symphony got going, it became a little easier and, and, and a little more effortless in sound to the point where the last movement is just an incredibly gorgeous and beautiful movement. Anyway, the first symphony, while meeting with general public approval, met with a good deal of criticism as well, even from Brahms's innermost circle, his beloved friend Clara Schumann, uh, who was his greatest supporter and uh, most passionate advocate of his music, even went so far as in a letter after the premiere of the first symphony to say, I was grieved by the symphony. Where are the sweeping melodies? So she really had expected a melodious, expressive piece, and instead she got this very taut, challenging piece with lots of sections and lots of difficulties. So almost as if to answer that criticism or concern, within a year, Brahms completed his second symphony. He'd gone off in the summer of 1877 to a beautiful lake resort in Port Schach and had gone there really to compose. And he even wrote a, a letter to his friend, the critic Hanslich, while he was there. He said, I have to be careful. The melodies are so thick here that I have to be careful not to step on them when I go outside. And indeed, it's almost as if he answered Clara's criticisms of the first symphony with the second symphony because the piece just abounds in the most glorious uh, melodies. In fact, it's sometimes referred to as Brahms's pastoral symphony. At the same time, I think it's not just a pastoral symphony. It's rather monumental in, in, in effort and in scope. It also has a good bit of, of darkness. Brahms even wrote a letter to someone after the premiere uh, who had criticized the use of trombones and timpani. And Brahms said, you know, I'm really a, a melancholic person. And the trombones and the timpani, in essence, reflect my melancholy nature. So the work is, of course, in four movements. The first movement, this glorious Allegro non troppo in three. Gorgeous horn writing throughout the piece as well as oboe writing, two things that Brahms was particularly famous for in his orchestral music, uh, but also a very strong and powerful uh, and, and, and tumultuous development section, middle section. The second movement, Adagio non troppo, slow but not too slow, glorious cello movement, one of the most famous slow movements that Brahms ever wrote with that incredible descending scale in the cellos at the beginning. ta da di da dum ta da di da 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 di da da dum Beautiful, beautiful movement. And there again, a very powerful, overwhelming kind of music. Third movement, quite a contrast, the Allegro Allegretto Grazioso, a gracious light allegro. This is a, another movement featuring the oboe prominently in a very pastoral feel. Uh, this was a movement that was actually encored at the premiere in the middle of the concert because people were so charmed by it. It's a very unconventional form in that it's not a typical scherzo, typical minuet third movement with a, a, a main body of the dance form and then a 
what's called a trio in the middle. It's in essence this beautiful kind of uh, slow three country piece with two fast sections that are quite different from each other in between, separated by the return of the opening material. And then finally, the last movement, Allegro con spirito, Allegro with spirit. And I have to say, in talking about this indication, Allegro con spirito, I, I take a lot of issue with the sort of standard traditional tempo ideas that most of the great conductors have handed down to my generation of conductors about the Brahms symphonies. Uh, because the pieces are so monumental and because the sound of them is so glorious, conductors have tended to bask, to bask increasingly in uh, the beauties of the sonic atmosphere of these pieces. And while certainly I think that making glorious sound tableaus is, is essential in Brahms, I always get a little concerned that the, the sonic bath occasionally or often, frankly, in, in interpretations through the 20th century, uh, have tended to really grind the pacing and the architecture down to a sort of crawl. And I think that the music loses a great deal of its architectural grandeur and, and its intensity and its power when it's done in too sluggish a fashion. So the last movement is a, is a perfect example of that, this allegro con spirito, I take with spirit as being a very literal direction, and I do it in a very spirited fashion, and perhaps faster than some folks are used to, uh, because I really believe that Brahms was writing extremely expressive and tumultuous and passionate music, and that when the music is performed too broadly, it loses a, a huge amount of its power and of its force. So I hope uh, you like the interpretation. It's always a great honor and pleasure to play these remarkable Brahms symphonies. This, again, is the final work on the Albany Symphony's concert, Brahms's Symphony No. 2, performed by the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes Podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org.